Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. I want to begin a series over the next few weeks called Unwrapping Christmas. Now, here's the thing. You know, if I am preaching in Christmas, you know what's coming. There's only two books that hold the story completely, and that is Matthew and Luke. And so you know, well, if pastor's going to talk about Christmas, he's going to go to those two passages. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you also know this. I have heard that story before. If you grew up in a Christian home, you know the story. You know about Bethlehem. You know about Mary. You know about Joseph. You know about shepherds and angels and wise men. You know about mangers and stables and no room in the inn. You know all that stuff. And here's what happens. We get so familiar with those things that we miss the important parts of the story. You see, what happens when you get familiar with things, there's something that that science calls mental paradigms. In other words, what happens is you become so familiar that you make assumptions about how this story ends and how it goes and how it was and how what it was like. As a matter of fact, all of you have, have uh, made assumptions this morning. You made an assumption that as you sat in that chair, because you have sat in that chair before, that that chair was going to hold you up. And so you assumed when I sit, my chair is going to be there. We make assumptions like that all the time because we become familiar with things. You become very familiar with this Christmas story. And so what I want to do over the next few weeks is I want to bring this story to you and I want us to look at a little bit different angles of this story. And I'm going to try to bring some things to your attention that may help you get past some of those just assumptions that you fill in about the story. Oh, pastor, you're talking about Christmas. Well, I know that story. I'm going to check out mentally. No, I want you to stay focused in God's Word because if you will allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, He will bring you something fresh. Because we are in the house of God, the Lord does not leave stale bread on the table every week. He wants us to eat fresh bread from the Word of God. And I believe that He can bring us fresh bread if we just take another look at this. So this is what I want to do this morning. I want us to actually try to take a look and not assume anything about this story. But I want you to read this story with me like you're reading it for the first time. Would you look with me in Luke chapter 2? Beginning in verse 1, I'm going to skip through and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation because most of you have memorized it in different translations. I'm going to bring a little new translation to you. That is, it's a paraphrase, but it it keeps the meaning. And I want you to just kind of see that so it will make you kind of forced to be looking at something new. Verse 1 says, And at that time the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. 
And because Joseph was a descendant of the king of, of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. And so he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, whom he was engaged and who was now expecting a child. Now I want you to notice something, that they're doing this because the Romans controlled everything about their life. They didn't have a choice here. They were told that a census is being taken and you have to report to your ancestral home. The Romans dictated to them exactly what their life was going to be about. Now, they had to travel from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, which happened to be about 70 miles. Now, think about that. 70 miles. Someone's told you, hey, you've got to go 70 miles so that you can register your family at that town. 70 miles about the distance from Denton to, to Ardmore. Or 70 miles about the distance from if you were to, to go from the west side of Fort Worth all the way to the east side over there around Mesquite and over there, about 70 miles all the way across the Metroplex. Here's the kicker of that story. 70 miles, that's not a problem if you're driving your car, but 70 miles when you're walking is a different story. Some of you haven't walked 70 miles in the last five years. It takes a lot of trips from the couch to the refrigerator to get 70 miles in. 70 miles is a long way to walk, whether you're old or whether you're young. That's a long way. I mean, can you imagine walking from Fort Worth to Dallas. No. If the Lord said, Scott, I want you to walk from Fort Worth to Dallas, I'd say, please, God, think of another way to, to do that. I'd rather fly. I'd rather, you know, get me a balloon. I'll float over there, but don't make me walk. And so here's what happens. Mary and Joseph are told, you've got to go 70 miles. But here's even the kicker. Look at that last phrase. But right now, she's expecting. You're walking 70 miles with a nine-month pregnant woman. How many of you ladies are up for that task? When my lovely wife was pregnant and she got to that ninth month, she just kind of waddled around. I can't imagine her waddling 70 miles. Can you imagine the conversation that took place between Joseph and Mary? And he's grabbing the donkey, and I'll just tell you, donkey, she didn't ride the whole way. She had to do a little walking. And, he's one, and she's saying, please, Joe, slow down. Going too fast. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't know. I was just kind of thinking. And, and she's like, just can we stop? Take him. Oh, sure, sure, whatever you want. You know, when you're nine months pregnant, your wife is nine months pregnant, you give them whatever they want. Whether it's ketchup and peanut butter on bread, you just, whatever, babe, you, you got it. You deserve this. Because what she's going through is all your fault, buddy. And you need to, you need to give her a little room, right? Nine months pregnant, waddling 70 miles. You know, that makes for a nice story when you just read it but when you think about it, man, that was an ordeal for Mary and Joseph. That was not an easy act. Look at verse 6. 
And while they were there, the time came. You know what that time was, right? Just breathe. That was the time that came. Shannon almost broke five bones in my hand as she held my hand during that moment when the time came. And I said, babe, please let go of my hand. You're hurting me. You're hurting you. I'm hurting. And the time came for the baby to be born. Verse 7, so she gave birth to her firstborn son. Oh, man, how proud. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, I'm sure that they made some preparations, but when you're walking 70 miles, you're not taking five suitcases, ladies. If you're flying, maybe. But if you're walking, you're not taking all that luggage. You don't have a whole lot of room to carry things and all that kind of stuff. The baby was born, and the Scripture says that they laid this child, wrapped him up in whatever cloth they could find, and they laid him in a manger. Now, a manger is not a crib. It's not a pack and play. A manger is a feeding trough for cattle. It was a feeding trough. How many of you would put your newborn baby in your dog bowl? Probably not a good option. But that's what they had. And so that's what they used. Look at verse 8. And that night, I want you to underline that. I want you to look at that. And that night, night, it was nighttime. It was dark. And that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. Now, we read the story, and we think of it as some kind of hallmark Christmas card. The angels are on the on the or the, the shepherds are walking the hillside. It's pitch black. They're out there with their sheep. And all of a sudden, the beauty of heaven opens and the angels appear. And the shepherds are like, oh, there you are, you majestic creatures. We're so thankful that you were here. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they were terrified. They were afraid. And that's what makes the Bible so real. Because let me tell you something. If you're laying in your bed tonight and it's pitch black and all of a sudden this huge glow appears coming out of your closet, I'll promise you you're not saying, oh, the glory of the Lord. You're saying, my God, honey, get a gun. Somebody's got a flashlight. That's happened to me one time. I don't know if I should even share this story or not. I'm sound asleep. and I've got to, babe. This is so good. I'm sound asleep. I've got my back turned to Shannon. And she wakes up in a screaming fit. And she raises both of her hands together and goes whack right in the middle of my back. And she says, there they are. My first thought was, Jesus, you're coming. This is who, this is what's happening. My second thought was, 
Who is they? And I jump up in the middle of my bed and she's like, they're in the house. They're in the bathroom. I'm like, I'm still asleep. I jump up. I'm running around. I don't even know where to go. I finally find the bathroom and I said, babe, I don't think they're in here. I'm still asleep. She's still half asleep. She says, they're in the bathtub behind the shower curtain. Yeah, that's what robbers do. They come in. Hey, we're going to take a bath real quick. I want to clean up before I steal all of your stuff. Don't want to leave any evidence, you know. No dead skin cells on your carpet. I want to make sure I'm clean. Anyway, they were terrified. Sky splits open and angels start speaking. My God, we'd all be terrified. But we make it all of such a beautiful little story. These men were frightened. They were afraid. Verse 10, but the angel reassured them. I've had those moments where I've been afraid and the angel of the Lord reassured me. It's nice, isn't it? Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news. Good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Man, that's awesome. Thanks for the reassurance. The only problem is this. If you need a Savior, a Messiah, if you need the Lord, then your life is pretty much in a mess. Right? The only reason why you need a Savior or you need a Messiah, an anointed one, or you need, or you need uh, the, the Lord, which is the, the equivalent for the, for the Hebrew Adon, Adonai, if you need a master, if you need something, then you are in a mess. Verse 12. To these shepherds, he says, you're going to recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined with a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. It's not just one guy. It's the whole multitude of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds told or said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this. I mean, why wouldn't we? What an exceptional idea that we should just, oh, okay, great, thanks for the information. No, let's go check this out. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. Have you ever wondered how they found them? The Bible doesn't make it very clear. My thought is, what do most newborn babies do? They cry. Maybe. The Bible doesn't explicitly say, but if I'm a baby and I'm laying in a cattle trough, I might be crying. Maybe Mary was upset. I don't know how that worked. I mean, she just had a baby. She just walked 70 miles. 
We don't know how that worked. But they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. Verse 17, And after seeing him, the shepherds told everything that had happened and what the angel had said about this, to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story, they were astonished. So obviously, there was a crowd starting to gather. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. You know, it sounds like a great story because we assume that, that Mary and Joseph had all the details of that night ahead of time. I mean, when you had your children or when your grandchildren were born, there were preparations that were made. You had kind of the details. You kind of knew where you were going to go, the hospital. You're going to, you kind of had to make, make some plans. And we just assume that Mary and Joseph had a few more of the details. You know, I mean, after all, Gabriel had visited both of them and told them this is what's going to happen. You're going to have a son. He's going to be called Jesus. I mean, they had some of those details. They, they, we just assume that they had most of the details about what was going on in their life. But let me just tell you something. They had very few specifics. And most of the blank spots that they had in their life, they had to just assume that they were going to just kind of figure it out as they went. You see, Mary and Joseph were told they were going to have a son. His name would be Jesus. But they had to live out the details. This is a real story. These are real people. This is a real young couple. Let me tell you, when God comes to your life and He begins to speak to you, most of the time He does not deal in specifics. He deals in very general ways. And He asks you, live out the details by faith. That's how the Christian life works. And so if you expect when you come to Jesus and you get all the details and all of specifics about what your life is going to be like and how it's going to work out, and if you come to the Lord and you give your heart to the Lord and you know how every next step is going to be, friend, you are going to be very, very, very upset and let down because most of the details happen by living it out, living life out in faith. The Bible says that that night, that night that Jesus was born, on that night, the night that they were filled with fatigue in their physical bodies, that night that there was fear on the shepherd's face, that night that there was shock, that night that so many questions were unanswered, so many specifics were not answered. How is this kid going to grow up? Where is he going to go to school? All of those questions were never filled in. On that night, Jesus came. In the midst of all of that, look at verse 20. And so the shepherds went back to their flocks. What a fantastic night! We saw the angels of heaven. We heard the voice of, of from heaven. He told us what was going to happen. We have so much hope. Monday showed up, went back to work. When that's a real that's a real important idea to consider, right? When you have an incredible experience with God, maybe you're at church or maybe it's on a Sunday or a Wednesday, you have an incredible experience with God and guess what happens? Monday happens. And you put your shoes on and your britches on and you go to work just like you did last Monday. And the only thing in between last Monday and this Monday is the Sunday, the experience you had with God. The moment that you were able to say, you know what, God did something in my life. That hope has changed me. So now I can go about my regular business and I have different. 
That's exactly what the shepherds did. They went back to their flocks. What else are they going to do? They didn't sit there underneath Mo, uh, Mary and, and Joseph. They didn't try to hold a baby all, you know, the next week. They didn't like, wow, we just got to stay here. No, they've got responsibilities. They've got families. They've got things they have to do. And they, so they go back. They return to life kind of as normal. But something was different inside. Look at verse 21. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, which means God saved. His name was given by the angel even before he was conceived. And then it was time for their purification offering. This is important. As required by the law of Moses after the child, the birth of a child, so his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the, to the Lord. And the law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. And so they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord. Look at this. Either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now you say, why did this get included here? Here's here's an important part of the story that you can't miss, that we make assumptions about that everything was all good. The law required that every firstborn son belong to the Lord. That came out of the tradition of of the Exodus. Because on the last plague, on the, when the Lord was delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt, God said, on this night, I am going to take the firstborn of all in Egypt. But the only way that you can, can the provision is, the only way that you can keep from take your firstborn being taken is you have to take the blood of a lamb and you have to sacrifice that lamb and smear the blood over your door so that my uh, my wrath will not come upon your firstborn. And that's what the Jews did. They smeared that blood over in a, in a, in a moment. They called it the Passover, where the angel of death passed over that firstborn child. And from that moment on, God told Moses, he said, tell your people that the firstborn belongs to me. The firstborn son belongs to me. And so the Lord said, if your firstborn is born, he belongs to me. Well, rather than dropping off your firstborn at the temple or at the church, and I know some of you would probably like to do that. You just kick him off, go see pastor, and you drive off. Please don't do that. I've got mine raised, praise God. They, instead of dropping off your firstborn, there was a provision that was made. You could redeem your firstborn and you could keep that firstborn, but the redemption was, had a price. It was the price of a lamb and a bird, a pigeon or a dove. But if you'll notice in this scripture, what does Luke say? He said he was redeemed. They brought an offering. And instead of bringing a lamb and a bird or a dove, they brought two. Now, what does that tell us? Well, what tells us is in the law, there was a provision made that if you couldn't afford a lamb, lambs were expensive. If you couldn't afford a lamb, you could just bring two dove or two pigeons. And the Lord would accept that and you could keep your baby. And that's exactly what Mary and Joseph did. They brought two doves, two pigeons. And they made that as a sacrifice. You see, what you see there is that Luke is saying without saying is, is that Mary and Joseph were on the bottom of the economic food chain. 
This is a young couple that's poor. They don't have a whole lot. Jesus didn't have some wealthy father uh, on this earth. His wealth was in heaven. Look at verse 39. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee, and there the child grew up healthy and strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. Here's just a few things I, I don't want you to miss in this story. I'm going to go through these quickly. First of all, is that it said that he was born that night. It was at night. You see, there was, number one, there was some, in, those were incredibly dark days in Israel for the nation. There was incredibly dark days. He was born at night. Let me tell you, the governing authorities that Mary and Joseph lived under, they were increasingly oppressive. In those days when Mary and Joseph walked that 70 miles, in the nation that they lived in, the bad guys were winning. There were oppressive taxes, oppressive regulations, financial restrictions. The moral and social fabric that, the, that Mary and Joseph had been raised in was being torn apart. And that the governing authorities had become more and more authoritarian. And they ordered the census be taken. And if you, if you have an ancestral home, it's another place you have to go there. They didn't ask, hey, I've got a job. I can't be gone for this long. Hey, I've got a family. I've got a pregnant wife. She's nine months. It doesn't matter. You go where I tell you to go. And I'm sure that if they were, were honest, they would tell us, you know what? At that moment, we were saying, God, what's going on? God, what are you doing? crickets because for 400 years God had not spoken through a prophet those were dark days they had not heard from the prophet from the voice of God for 400 years the time of Mary and Joseph it had been since Malachi back in the Old Testament they hadn't heard the voice of God they hadn't heard this this thundering shaking I mean imagine it would be like us looking back to the pilgrims since the last time God really did anything. They landed on Plymouth Rock in 1620. So imagine that. Well, life has happened. A lot has happened in the last 400 years as far as the Americas go. It was an incredibly dark time in that nation. And I can just say that, that right now, these aren't bright and sunny days in our nation and world. Our economy. Can I just say this, young person, if you're here, when you spend more than you make, it's not good. Because when the government spends more than it makes, rather than cutting the spending, they say, well, we need to make more. Do you know how that works? It's called taxes. For all of you who, who, who like people to make you poorer by increasing your taxes, it makes for a dark day. In our world, the social fabric of our society is being torn apart. There's moral decay. We have laws in our nation that even encourage that. It's become more and more authoritarian in America. I mean, 2020 proved that. 
We lost freedoms like that. Overnight, boom. You didn't make a decision. The government made the decision for you of whether you're going to get to go to work or where you're going to get to travel or whether this company was going to keep you or not. The military says you're going to do this or you're gone. We experience that personally in our own family. It's not a good, bright, sunny day because today in America, biblical Christianity has been replaced with with, uh, pagan syncretism, which means, oh, I'll take a little bit of Jesus and I'll take a little New Age and I'll take a little bit of just kind of what I want and I'll take a little bit of Buddhism and and Spiritism. I'll just kind of make it all good. You know, if it all settles out, you know, whatever, then all good guys go to heaven. So let's just call it good. That's kind of how people have turned. It's not a great day. But Jesus came at night. I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss the fact that there was an incredibly dark days for, for Mary and Joseph. I've already explained. They were a young couple who were dead broke. They didn't have good times. They weren't celebrating it up. Oh, hey, baby shower. Come on. Come on. Oh, hey, hey, we're, 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 it's a reveal party. Come on. They didn't blow up firecrackers or anything. They were barely able to afford the two birds that they had to sacrifice. It's incredibly dark days for Mary and Joseph. Their reputation was bad. I mean, think about that. Here's young Mary. Oh, Mary, you're pregnant. Oh, yes, yes. But I'm actually a virgin. Okay. This is God's child. Mm-hmm. Sure he is. I don't want you to miss the fact that when God finally did show up, he seemed to immediately disappear again. Shepherds hear voices in the, in the hills. They see angels, the glory of God. But come Monday, they go back to work. People see that and they say, man, wow, God is awesome. Angels, choirs, heavenly hosts, that's awesome. Wise men traveled from the east all this time. Wow, that is incredible. A Savior is born. Let's go. Come on. It would be 30 years before Jesus would ever start ministry. 30 years. 30 years before Jesus would begin to heal sick. Raise it. it would be 30 years before Jesus would teach 30 years. Some of you are not even 30 years old, and you're like, man, life is just, wow, it's just going so slow. 30 years. I have a hard time waiting 30 minutes for anything. 30 years. As soon as Jesus shows up on the scene, boom. God, where'd you go? Then Jesus, through his ministry, what happens? He lives, he teaches, and is as he's teaching, abruptly he is killed. And he's gone. He's gone again for three days. And then he comes back to life. Yes, 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 he's here to stay. All right, Jesus is alive. All right. 40 days later, he ascends and he's gone to heaven. He appears, he's gone. He appears, he's gone. He's been gone for 2,000 years. Sometimes it kind of feels like that in our life, isn't it? God shows up. Oh, man, this is awesome. What's next? 
10 years later? Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about. I've been there. I'm like, man, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait till next week, next year, next month, man. God, you're going to be there. This and all of a sudden, Lord, where'd you go? You know what that's like. You see, the reality of the Christmas story is this. It's that serving God is about a life of faith. See, in the Christmas story, there's good news and bad news. Good news, Savior has come. The bad news is, is if you need a Savior, your life's in a mess. The good news is, oh, the Savior has come. The bad news is, is you're going to have to wait for some of these things. And as a Christian, our life kind of becomes like what our family tradition has been when our kids were young and we'd had presents under the tree. The kids would say, oh, please, can I open them? Now you've got to wait till Christmas. Oh, okay. And then Shannon would give in. She's the nice one. And she would say, okay, you can pick one and you can open it. You parents know what I'm talking about. Just get... Pick one and get out of my hair, okay? And they get one. Oh, great. Can I open another one? No. You got to wait. And you have to wait till Christmas. Oh, and that's just, it's so long. And that's the way it is in Christian life. You get to open one. What we open was salvation and it's all wonderful and it's all great, but some of the things we still have to wait on. So I don't want you to miss those things. Here's the four things that I want to just close quickly in this is that I don't want you to forget. Number one is that God likes to work in the shadows. God likes to work in the shadows. I don't know why he does it this way. He didn't ask my permission. But God likes to work in the shadows. I mean, I prefer it if God would work in the light all the time where I could see what he was doing I could see what his plans are, that he would come to me and he'd say, Scott, look, I'd like a little bit of help getting this done. Could you just help me? I mean, this is, what's, this is what my plan is. Could you just come and let me take care of this? Oh, sure, Lord, let me put on my shoes. Let's get after it. I would love it. Wouldn't you love it if God would come to you and he'd say, hey, look, here's my plans for your life over the next five years. And if we have time, I'll talk to you about 10 years from now. Oh, great. Let me get a pencil and paper. It'd be great if God would show us the beginning and the end. It would be great if, the, if, if, if we knew everything that God was doing. But the truth is, is that from Genesis to Revelation, most of the time, the way God primarily works in people's lives is through the shadows. You don't always see everything that's taking place. You see, in our personal lives, we understand in terms of what we're supposed to be doing but we don't understand in terms of what and when God is going to do His part. And that's why in Isaiah said, in Isaiah 55, he says, For my thoughts, my thoughts are not your thoughts, okay? Can we get that clear this morning, Journey Fellowship? God's thoughts are not your thoughts. You've had ungodly thoughts, that are not his thoughts. And when I say ungodly, that doesn't mean that they're terribly sinful. They're just not what God's thinking. God's thinking thoughts about your life that you have not even thought about. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways neither are like your ways. 
God works through the shadows. In other words, you have to trust the Lord even though you don't understand Him. He's not going to tell you the specifics of the story. But what happens is most of the time, you and I, we want a cosmic consultant for our life. We don't want a sovereign God. We want to sit down with the Lord and say, hey, Lord, let's have a meeting. Let's talk about some things. Let's discuss some actions that are going to be taking place in the next few days, the next few months about my job, about my family, about my future. Let's just talk about those things. And then what we want to do is we want to tell God, okay, we know that you're smarter than I am. I know that you're able to do that. I would like to help you, but I want to make the decision whether I'm going to do it your way or mine. We want a consultant. Can I just tell you, God's not into the consulting business. He is in the God business. That's all he does. He makes his own decisions. And if you met him for coffee every day for the rest of your life, he would still have thoughts that were not your thoughts. He would still have ways that were not your ways. Because he is God. He is far above us. You know, my kids have asked me a billion times, Dad, why? Dad, why? Dad, why? And the reason is because they don't know the reason behind the decisions that I have to make. And it's the same way when you say, God, why? It's because he's working in the shadows and you can't see in all the shadows. And it's what's sad is this, what's sad is we see people who, who have made God so small where the only God that they can trust in and believe in is the God that they can explain everything he does and they can predict everything he's going to do and they can come to church and you can write the story before you even show up in the parking lot of what's going to happen from 1030 to 12 o'clock. And we just know we've got God figured out. Let me tell you, that is a small God. I don't want to serve a small God. God. I want to serve a God that I can't figure out, that its thoughts are bigger than mine, who has more ideas than I've got. I want to serve a God who has imagination that goes beyond my imagination. That's the God that I want you to see. And he works in the shadows. So if you can't figure out what he's doing in your life, don't get frustrated. Don't just lose your mind and say, oh God, I don't even know if you're even in charge. No, he's in charge, but he's working in ways you can't understand. God works in shadows. I want you to not forget that. I don't want you to forget the fact that God works on his own or God shows up in a crisis. Jesus showed up in the crisis. Not only do I wish that I knew everything and knew all his thoughts and knew all his ways, but I wish that God would show up before the crisis. Come on, somebody. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, since you know all this, God, why don't you keep me out of that ditch that I'm about to drive into? But that's not how it works. That's not how Jesus... They didn't all have it all together, Mary and Joseph. They didn't even have a pack and play to carry with them. They had to use a manger. It was kind of makeup as you go. And God, who has planned this from the very beginning... Ah, they'll figure it out. Here's a manger. It's clean. I created the cow. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He shows up in the crisis, not before, 
not after it's over, in the middle of the crisis. He doesn't keep us from all of our hardships. He guides us through our hardships. He doesn't take us always around the valleys. He walks us through the valleys. But to be honest, we prefer a God who would just build a fence around us and say, you know what, don't let anything ever come in and attack me. If we did that, we'd be the softest people on the planet. Jesus wasn't born in the midst of peace and prosperity. Jesus was born at night in the dark, in a dark situation, in a tough spot, in the middle of of life. He was born in crisis. Can I just say this word to you? Because the Holy Spirit spoke this to me this morning, early as I was sitting in in my office. If you are going through a crisis right now in your life, listen to me. God has an appointment set up for you. He is coming and invading your crisis. He doesn't work before or in after it. He is in the middle of your crisis. Say, oh, Pastor, if you only knew, I do know this. I know this fact that he has scheduled a visit for you. If you're a crisis right now, he's got an appointment that is coming to you. He's showing up. He's showing up. Hang on. Third thing that I want you to not forget is that he always follows his own timetable. Boy, then that's true, right? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Remember this verse as it goes to this. Do not forget that one thing, dear friends, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. So in other words, Jesus has only been gone for two days. <laughs> Now, I know that you impatient people, that did not help some of you because we're conditioned to move quickly. Everything we've got in our society moves fast, right? There, is, there, is, there are seconds, there are minutes, there are hours, there are months and weeks and years, but in Texas, in Denton, Texas, there is a new standard of time. It's called a honk a second. A honk a second is the span of time that exists between the light turning green and you honking your horn at the car that's sitting in front of you. That's a honk a second. That's what I call it. Some of you know that time frame because you're the one behind me saying, come on, slowpoke, let's go. It changed green 30 milliseconds ago. Go. We're conditioned to want things now and hurry and fast and rapid. But can I tell you, God, he not only works in the shadows and works in crisis, but he works on his own timetable. He does it on his timing. Can I give you some advice of what to do when you seems like that your life is kind of on pause and you're waiting for God to act? And you've prayed all this prayer and he's thrown you into the waiting room. Isn't that the, that's like, that's purgatory right there. It's that waiting room in the doctor's office, in the dentist's office. You know what's coming. You're just like, dear Lord, let me just get this over with, right? It's that waiting room. Nobody likes the waiting room. We go to the doctor's office. Nobody likes the waiting room. You don't know what your report is. You're waiting for the doctor. You're kind of, you're in the waiting room. Can I just tell you what you do when you're in the waiting room? You consider Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, For we know in all things God works for the good 
for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Here's some advice for you who are waiting for God to move. I want you to just sit and think about how God is going to do good in your situation. Instead of saying, oh, man, because you know what our minds do? When we're in a facing something challenging, our minds go to the very worst scenario, right? We think the very worst about what this could turn out to be. This is going to be the worst thing ever. Start thinking this way. Lord, you said that if all things work together for the good, so if I'm in this crisis and I'm just kind of in the waiting room, what kind of good are you going to get out of this? And lastly, Daniel, if you would come. He's in the shadows, he's in your crisis, and he's working on his timetable. Don't forget this. If you bail out, you'll miss out. And that young couple, Mary and Joseph, walking 70 miles. How many times could they have just said, you know, forget this. Forget this. I mean, it's hard enough raising your own kids, much less the Son of God. Forget this. Too much pressure. Too many people talking about us. Joseph, do you know what they call me? Forget this. I'm calling to see if I can get a hold of Gabriel and let's do a take this back to Walmart kind of business. I don't want this. I don't, I'm not interested. Choose somebody else. But if you bail out, you miss out. When life doesn't make sense, when it's hard and things aren't working out, everybody in this room is tempted to bail out. Everybody. You know what that's called? That's called a crisis of faith. When you have that moment, you make that decision. We've all been there. It's all happened to us. And if you've been there in that moment, you say, you know what? I'd just like to call it quits to this whole God thing. Welcome to being a Christian. I don't condemn you because you're living that life out. You're living out the details. And you have to ask yourself, am I going to continue to trust you, Lord, or am I going to just dismiss your advice and try to do life my own way? We have all seen people who have bailed out and who've tried to do life their own way, and all that happens is the train comes off the tracks. The Christian faith is not always about being a conqueror who never gets wounded. The Christian faith is about being the survivor who never quits. That's the Christian life. It's not about starting. It's about finishing the rest. And it's about living it all the way in between. I made this promise to God as a young boy years ago. I looked up to heaven and I said, God, I will not ever give up on you if you won't give up on me. Man, somebody needs to hear that today. In your own heart right now, I 
I'm not quite finished, but I just feel the Spirit of God right now. Now the moment. I want you to just close your eyes right now. Everybody in this room. And somebody needs to pray that prayer right there that I prayed 40 years ago. Pray that prayer. Say, God, I won't give up on you if you won't give up on me. Come on, say it. Whoever it is, just say, God, I won't give up on you. If you won't give up on me, because listen to me my friend if you bail out you're going to miss out so much there's still a lot of tree of gifts to be open that are underneath the tree and he's saying if you'll just be patient if you'll just wait if you want courage you got to stay in the fight and you got to face real fears if you want integrity you have to face real temptations If you want grace and mercy, you have to have done the unforgivable. Do you you see? Do you understand that? If you want the grace and mercy of God, you have to have done the unforgivable. Anyone can forgive someone whose life is in order, but for someone who has crossed the line, oh God, I won't give up on you if you don't give up on me. Jesus came at night. When the world couldn't see what God was up to. When there wasn't a whole lot of hope. When things were dark. That's the exact moment that he came at night. I don't know if you're... If God is working in the shadow or in broad broad daylight of your life. I don't know if, if you're in a crisis. I don't know if you've been in the waiting room of life for months, even years. I don't know if you're running in your faith or if you're just barely crawling. But I do know this. Jesus loves you and He came for you. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.